The voice of Motown, West Virginia's leader in news, analysis, and rumors, proudly presents the Voice of Motown podcast, featuring your boys, Brandon and Tyler. Take it away, gentlemen. This is the Voice of Motown podcast. I'm Tyler Pepe. And I'm Brandon Cork, and this is the WVU Sports Podcast by two suffering WVU fans. All right. Hey, guys, before we get into it, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, Voice of Motown Podcast. We're trying to get those numbers up, so we would greatly appreciate your support. And let's dive right into it. The Mountaineers have their new athletic director, North Texas athletic director, Ren Baker. He doesn't officially start his duties at WVU until December 19th. But make no doubt about it, he's already making important decisions here. But before we get into all the decisions he's made, what are your thoughts on the hire itself? It seems like a quality hire who is focused on doing the things that Shane Lyons was hesitant to do. Um, and it really seemed like we wanted to fix things when it came to, you know, transfer portal, donations, relationships with the Country Road Trust, money. Um, and it seems like Baker was willing and is eager to take steps in order to improve those um, aspects of the program. So um, overall, I think it's a good hire. I think that, you know, he's someone who's young and innovative and can um, help push us forward in those areas where it seems like we're lagging. Um, yeah, I'm with you. Uh, Ren is already a busy man in Morgantown. The Country Road Trust has reached out to welcome him. And, uh, you know, after the comments about the Country Roads Trust by Shane Lyons, we know Baker's relationship with them will be a top priority because I'm sure that was a factor in Shane's departure. And I'm sure it was also a factor in hiring Ren Baker because he does have, you know, a lot of expertise in fundraising. So what are your thoughts on Ren Baker and his future relationship with the Country Roads Trust? It definitely seems like it, it, he's off to a good start. I know I saw, um, I think it was on Twitter, him posting a video for Country Roads Trust already. Um, I watched his interview with Tony Caridi, and he mentioned the Country Roads Trust by name in there as well. So, um, you know, he's definitely aware of the role that, and the role and value that the Country Roads Trust is going to have in um, get, getting our players paid, um, or at least the players that we want to, have hang around um, the ones who are important, important to our team. And um, the country roads trust is something that right now is young. And, um, you know, we don't know how much of an impact it's going to have, but right now it's really all we got. And it seems like it has a really good leadership group um, to help push things forward. And now that um, the university is promoting it more, um, I think that's only a start of good things to come, especially when it comes to at least retaining talent. Um, now attracting talent, you know, that may still be, still be a little bit more difficult kind of being in the middle of nowhere and have to compete with people in warmer weather and more urban areas. But um, the people who come here seem to love it. So being able to throw them a couple bucks here and there is just going to make it a stronger bond. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And uh, like I said earlier, he has a lot of experience with fundraising. He's had previous stints at Missouri in Memphis before he was at North Texas. And um, that's really what he seemed to focus on at those early schools. So he does have a good background there. 
And, um, you know, looking at what he did at North Texas, he set numerous records in the fundraising area. He even had their biggest year ever, um, all time fundraising at North Texas. So he has a good track record. Um, just for those who are curious, he has a six year contract. I think he's making like 1.1 million a year. Um, so he's going to be here for a while. And, um, you know, if you watch his press conference, it's hard to fail those opening press conferences because most of the time, you know, the media and the fans like the fresh face coming in. Um, but he did say all the right things. I, I like that he somehow found a way to connect his upbringing to similar upbringings in West Virginia, because even though he doesn't have, you know, West Virginia ties, um, he still found a way to relate to the fan base, which, of course, is big for West Virginia fans, because, of course, we take a lot of pride in our state itself. And that's not necessarily like that everywhere, because most of the people who are West Virginia fans um, grew up here and a lot of us still live here. So I think that's important that he went the extra mile to make that connection. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, I think it's good um, to have him here, you know, at the time that we're into, because we do need someone who is a little bit more forward thinking. And as we kind of alluded to with the NIL and transfer portal ideas, um, it's going to be super valuable. Um, you know, and, and even though he doesn't have ties to the state, I know some people kind of worry about that a little bit, especially when it comes to other job openings coming up. But this isn't like head coaching where, you know, you're always worried about someone coming and poaching your guy if they have a good year. Um, ADs don't move around as much. So um, I, I'm not super worried about his ties to the state. You know, I think if he likes it here, he'll stay here a long time unless someone comes in and gives him a huge raise. And then, you know, as long as he's had a positive experience in the programs in a good spot, which it should be if he would be getting hired away from to somewhere else bigger and better, um, then, you know, it would make the job even more appealing for someone new. So um, I think he definitely has a nice challenge ahead of him but I definitely think that he has the mindset that it's going to take to succeed at a place like WBU. I'm with you. Yeah. And Mike Ossie asked him a good question in that press conference. He asked him, you know, I've, I've heard you've gotten offers from other schools prior to this year and you stayed at North Texas. So what made you want to come to West Virginia? And Baker basically said, you know, I talked to my family. We visited here. It seemed like a nice place to raise a family. So I do feel like he likes the atmosphere already. And so, yeah, I'm with you. I'm not really concerned um, about the fact that he doesn't have ties. I, I think we can hang on to him here, um, at least for a while. And also, you're right. Um, he, he does seem like he is a very much forward thinker. He's not old-fashioned. And he has experiences in all types of fields. We mentioned the fundraising area. Of course, he has athletic director experience. But he was also a coach at a time, too. And I feel like that's good because it's always good when you can relate to all the people you're working around. So I don't know. The more, the more I, I dig into his past, I think this is a very good hire for West Virginia. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, another thing that I liked about him, too, is that um, he did have um, he, he does have good connections. I know he mentioned um, in the Caridi interview that he is close friends with uh, I think it's Baylor's athletic director or uh, and. um Missouri's athletic director who he worked under. So he says he talks to those people every day and they all had great things to say about WVU. Um, so, you know, it's great to have someone like that. Plus his, you know, you mentioned his experience as a coach before he was also a principal at a high school. So he's someone who's kind of worked his way up. Um, he mentioned in the interview how he worked in paper mills to support, um, to help pay for his college whenever he was in college. 
Um, so, you know, he's someone who, who does have a high work ethic and someone who isn't just, you know, another good old boy who's been, you know, kind of groomed to be an AD throughout some other athletic department. He's been around, he's been in different roles. Um, he has different experiences. And like, you know, like we said, he's someone who's going to kind of think outside the box. And um, the one thing that just came to my head, going back to the ties to the state, I did read somewhere that his sister's husband is actually from West Virginia and is a WVU fan. So there is a little bit of a tie. Um, and maybe that brother-in-law can um, get in his ear about, you know, how great the state of West Virginia is and uh, can keep him here for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I heard him mention that in his press conference. So um, it does just seem like the perfect fit uh, for now, but another big decision that he made is we all now know that Neil Brown's returning as West Virginia's head coach. So what are your thoughts on Neil coming back for the 2023 season? Um, you know, I, I'm not sure how much of an influence Ren had on it. I'm sure that he signed off on it, but it, it really read from the press release that WVU had that it, this was more of an Alsop Gee decision. Um, and really the message that they sent about it is kind of what rubbed me the wrong way. I think there's other ways to message it. Um, obviously I think a lot of people saw bringing Neil Brown back was inevitable. Um, I was one of those people who was really, really against it. Um, I really didn't don't see the benefit of bringing back and I still don't. Um, but you know, I, I think what troubled me the most is the messaging from WVU leadership, um, Rob Alsop and, and Gordon Gee around bringing Neil back and why they brought him back and how they feel about bringing him back and how they feel about how he performed last year. Um, all of those things to me, everything that he's done in the past year. Um, I mean, during his four years basically has been not up to par and to basically come out and rub it in WVU fans faces that, Hey, this is acceptable to us. It just seems like a slap in the face. Yeah, I mean, I get it. You have to support your guy. And so maybe that's why Guy said something like that. But um, yeah, to stand up there and say five and seven, you know, he basically said that's acceptable here. I, yeah, of course, that's going to rub a lot of fans the wrong way. And if it was up to me, I, I probably would have moved on. But, um, you know, they they thought giving Neil another year was the right move. I, I somewhat understand they were trying to save this recruiting class. So I guess I can see where they're coming from, but I'm kind of at the point where I'm like, it is what it is. You know, we can't change it this off season. So moving on, um, you know, the real question is what should Neil Brown's expectations be then since he is coming back? And here are just some of the few things that I think is a must for him to earn an additional year, a bowl game is a must. No excuses. If Neil can't get WVU into a bowl game next year, then it's time for a new start. Um, no excuses about injuries or anything like that. It's you need six wins or more in a bowl game. Um, another thing, I can handle seven wins, but um, no less. If he can't get up to seven wins, and even with the bowl game, if, if that's how he reaches seven, um then I'm good, but he has to have a winning record. You can't go six and six and then lose in the bowl game and be six and seven. That's just me. I, I feel like we've spent enough time. He needs to prove he can be um, an above 500 coach. You know, Brown is 22, 25 at West Virginia. Uh, the worst four year stretch since Frank Sinetti years. Uh, it's all been well documented, but um, 
you know, we, we got to get beyond that if you're asking me. And I'm willing to support and rally around Neil for one more year. I'll buy my season tickets like I always do. I'll support my Mountaineers. I'll watch all the away games. Um, but this has to be it. You know, they can't expect us to sit through another below 500 season. If Neil doesn't deliver, then it's it's just time for a change. Um, so I think he needs to be on a short leash. That doesn't mean if he loses you know, the first game, fire them. But if WVU is three and six, like they were nine games into the season this year, then Ren Baker needs to pull the plug. And um, honestly, I believe he will, because I don't think he'll tank his own career for Neil, kind of like how Shane Lyons did. So uh, what are your expectations for Neil Brown since it's official? He's coming back. Yeah. Um, So I want to kind of step back for a minute and kind of vent my frustrations a little bit about um, my whole feelings about the whole thing real quick. So I think right before um, Gee made the um, introductory press conference for Ren Baker um, was, I think the day before that was when North Texas fired their, uh, their head coach. Um, And the story that came out was Ren Baker told, um, Latrell, which is the head coach at North Texas, that if he didn't reach eight, eight wins, he would be fired. Well, they went to the conference championship game and they lost, which meant that they couldn't get to eight wins. So he fired him. And after that, I felt really good. I felt really warm and fuzzy inside. I'm like, all right, we're bringing Neil back. But, um, you know, Ren is someone who's going to set goals and expect people to meet, meet them and not make excuses. And then a day later, is when he made the comment where it was just filled with excuses saying five and seven was good enough saying our record was too difficult saying, you know, the recruiting class, we had to keep that together and all this other stuff that doesn't matter, you know, and in reality, all that stuff that he said doesn't matter. It's not an excuse. So um, I'm hoping that they do have expectations and that's kind of what I want to preface my expectations for um, with this is that, you know, even though it's uncertain right now, if they are going to set expectations, I'm really, really hoping they do because that's the only way that you're going to have a successful, successful football program long-term is if you set goals and, you know, make them stick to it. And I understand there's a lot of moving parts that come with Neil Brown when it comes to, you know, his ability to recruit, how good of a man he is and, you know, the way he represents the state, which, you know, are immeasurable. But for me um, personally, I would really like, I would really need to see Neil get above eight or above wins. I mean, I know next year is going to be tough because we are losing some key pieces on offense and on defense. Um, We are bringing back a lot of players, but you know, there's going to be question marks at quarterback. So that's going to be something he has to overcome. And we haven't seen him do that yet. Um, And so there's also other questions about, you know, what staff's going to come back. There's, you know, rumors floating around that Graham Harrell, is going to um, be a hot name in head coaching searches or even potentially other offensive coordinator positions at power five schools with new coaching hires. And, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what. I think had four years and, you know, done with him and, you know, he would have, even if you would finish with eight wins next year, the following year, he would still have to have somewhat of a short leash for me. You know, if you would start go eight and five and then start off the next season going one and four or two and four or three and six, you know, I, I would still think that you have to pull the trigger then because 
you know, we've seen Neil, you know, struggle and we've seen what happens when he struggles. He just can't dig himself out of the hole. He can't change his ways. He can't make changes and make decisions that help win football games. So um, I, I just don't think he's the guy to lead the program long-term and based on kind of reading between the lines with the way that Shane Lyons spoke about him and Gordon Gee has spoke about him. He just seems kind of like a yes man who just wants to kind of exist within the bureaucracy and do whatever he's told and not try to push things past the boundary. And if you look at what successful coaches at WVU have done, they've done things to push things outside of their comfort zone, outside of other people's comfort zone to make the football program better. You know, Rich Rod did it, whether it was with the product he put down in the field or with him flirting with every other college job opening in the world, just so he could get some facility upgrades um, to, you know, Dana with the way that he approached recruiting and bringing talent into West Virginia, that was a really short term site. Um, and it frustrated a lot of fans because you we weren't bringing in high school kids, but um, it worked for him. So um, we need someone who's willing to kind of push the boundaries and figure out what works for WVU. And in order to do that, um, do some thinking outside of the box and not just try to make your bosses happy. Yeah, I'm with you. And I, I thought it was great that you brought up the situation at North Texas. Now, obviously, um, that coach was fired by North Texas president because Baker's, you know, kind of relieved those duties. But, um, you know, it was his goals that that he set out and Baker more than likely would have done the same thing if he was still there. Um, Latrell, the coach at North Texas, he was 44 and 44. Um, not great overall record, but he had success. He had two nine one seasons. He went to a bowl game nearly every year. I think he only missed a bowl game once. Um, he wasn't winning them, but they were going bowling every year. He was just in his conference championship game for the third time. Uh, you know, the third time was this year that he got fired, but North Texas felt like, you know, he couldn't get them over the hump and they strive to improve. And, um, and, and they did, you know, they got rid of them thinking we can get better. Um, now I get it. It's harder to win in the big 12 than it is in a group of five school, but, Come on, why is little North Texas striving for greatness while WVU is kind of just content with mediocrity is, is kind of what I take from that situation. I mean, North Texas could be content getting nine seasons here and there, being in conference championships, but they think they can do better. Um, like I said, I get it. They wanted to save that recruiting class, and I'm okay with Neil coming back for one year, but if he's not getting it done halfway into next season, it, you know, it, it's – it's winter go home time. You know, I think even Gordon Gee and the rest of them kind of know that in the back of their head, because, you know, if we have to sit through another bad season, the, the fans are just going to completely check out. Yeah, I hope so, because I feel like we missed out on some really interesting, you know, maybe not necessarily top tier names um, for coaching hires. But I mean, you know, I think of someone like a Deion Sanders who went to Colorado and you look at all the talent that's already knock on, knocking on his door to say, hey, can I come play for you? You know, legit five-star talent. And his son is, by the way, a five-star quarterback. So um, who's going to follow him there most likely? So, I mean, you know, someone like him could immediately change the type of talent that we have on our roster. Someone like a Jeremy Chadwell who has kind of uplifted Coastal Carolina into 
the top 25 program over the past two or three years, um, got hired at Liberty for only $4 million a year, which is what Neil's making. Um, so, you know, there were some quality names out there that I, we could have explored and potentially replaced Neil with, but, um, I'm really hoping that we have a similar crop next year. Cause it seems like this year there were what, six power five job openings. I'm really hoping that that number is similar or lower. Um, that way, you know, we're in good position next year. Should we do, should we end up firing Neil Burr? Because if it's an even larger, um, deluge of coaches being fired, especially with the expanded playoff coming up and maybe some teams seeing, Hey, we're hovering around the low twenties, the high thirties. We want to make a splash because maybe we can get into the top 12. You know, that could be a situation where we're end up, you know, picking from the guys that nobody else wants because they're willing to pay more. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how this gamble pays off. Um, As a fan, I'm a little weary. Um, I'm, Interested to see how this goes, um, just because I'm basically completely out on Neil Brown. But um, yeah, we'll we'll see. I'm going to continue to root for the Mountaineers. I'm going to root for the players, but I, I can't bring myself right now to root for Neil. Um, that's just kind of where I'm at as a fan. Yeah, and I know you're completely checked out, and you're not the only one. But you know, obviously, the the best case scenario would be Neil figures this out and has a good year next year, and hopefully you know, can build off that. That's what I'm rooting for because not only would that be ideal for Neil Brown and the higher ups, but it would be good for us because, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously um, new head coaches, like look at what they're doing at TCU with Sonny Dykes can come in and be successful immediately. But there's also times, you know, it takes a few years to build back up. So for us, ideally it would be great if we could just keep what we have there together and start winning. But who knows? We shall see. I mean, Neil's still young. That That's what I keep trying to tell myself to convince myself that he might be getting better. He's still young. And it's just like anything. When you start learning to play guitar, you're not very good. And if you keep at it, you get better. I'm hoping he's just a head coach who, I mean, in all reality, hasn't been a head coach in an incredibly long time. And hopefully he's just getting better little by little. We've mentioned it before. I think his biggest thing that holds him back is sometimes he just seems too stubborn to admit that he's not doing something right and to make a change. It, I give him credit. Eventually he does make a change, like bringing in Graham Harold and not calling plays, but it seems like he, he's always just one step behind in making that change. If he would make changes sooner, I feel like it would benefit him a lot. And hopefully he's learning that with age and time, gaining wisdom. Yeah. Uh, the one thing that concerns me most, and maybe this is more a uh, reflection of the assistant coaches, which he does have quite a few friends on the staff. Um, so that's kind of a reflection on him is the, is the player development outside of running back. I mean, we've talked about this numerous times and, you know, we can bring in all the talent that we want, but if these guys aren't getting better year after year, that gives me, you know, concerns for the long-term hope of the program. Cause you know, if we are bringing in talented guys or guys who can be talented, are they going to reach their potential here? And if they can't reach their potential here, how good can we be? So I'm not sure how you get better at that. Um, Maybe it's something that you can improve on. Maybe it's just as simple as saying, Hey guys, um, you know, linebacker coach, safeties coach, et cetera. You just aren't getting the job done, so you're gone. And going out there and get guys who can. Um, is Neil Brown willing to do that? Is he going to be forced to do that? And what is the solution to resolve those issues? 
I don't know. Um, but that's honestly probably my biggest concern. You know, obviously some of the coaching mistakes he makes in game make me want to bang my head against the wall, but I can get over that because you can, you can fix those mistakes. Um, you know, when it comes to calling plays and who's calling plays and things like that, that's something that, you know, you can improve over time or you can eventually get the right guy in there to call plays for you if Graham Harrell wasn't that guy. Um, but the player development is something that I think in the college game, you absolutely 100% need. Um, if you can't develop players, then you can't win conference championships. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, so we'll move on uh, because I know this might seem like we're just sitting here complaining, but uh, it is how we feel. I mean, and I feel like a lot of fans also fe- have similar feelings, if not, you know, pretty much the same. So let's talk about transfers because, of course, that just opened up yesterday and it's been a busy time. We'll start off with Charles Woods. We, of, we of course, knew he, he left because he went out very, um, you know, uh, unorthodox i guess you can put it um yeah that's a nice way of saying it um he announced he's transferring to smu and smu is a fine school and all but um i thought it was kind of weird that he decided to go to a group of five school um kind of a surprise since he's leaving a power five school where he would be you know guaranteed one of the starters. So it's weird that he chose to go to a lower school. He is from that area down in Texas. So I guess that makes it make a little more sense, but I would love to have more knowledge about, you know, this entire situation because we all know his exit on senior day was a strange one. It it seemed very disrespectful. It seemed like he was doing it intentionally to make a point. I would love to just have more background information because the fact that he is now going to what I would consider a step down makes it all the stranger. So what are your thoughts on his announcement to go to SMU? Yeah, I would like a little bit more information. Now, I don't want to pry too much, but, you know, I I would like to know if it was a personal reason or not. You know, is it was it a problem with the program or is it because maybe he has a family member who's sick? Maybe he's just sick. Things that happen. Um, And if it was one of those things, I'd be completely fine with it because people, you know, kids deserve to be able to. I mean, these are 21, 22 year old kids. And, you know, if you're far away from far away from home and someone gets sick or you just, don't like being in West Virginia. That's fair when you've been in Texas your whole life. Um, but on, on the flip side, you know, if it's something to do with the coaching staff or, you know, tensions there, this would be just another player who we've seen enter the portal, who was starting and had a guaranteed spot coming back who can't get along with someone in the program. So, you know, if it's the former, if it's because he wants to be closer to home, that's completely logical, but you know, could it be a similar situation to like a Tyke Smith where he just didn't get along with, the secondary's coach, he, you know, broke some rules and ended up getting suspended or a Drayshon Miller who just kind of left because his position coach left, um, Daryl Porter who followed J- Jamila die. Um, you know, it's there, there's numerous options and it could point to just our secondary's coach, not being someone who really gets along with our players the way they need to. And maybe that's another reason why we're not getting, you know, guys in the transfer portal to come in to West Virginia when we need them to. Um, so, I mean, if you look at the transfers we had over this in the secondary, this off season, a lot of them were for like FCS schools. They were just looking for an opportunity. Um, why aren't FBS guys coming here? Why aren't guys from G5 who were solid performers at their level itching to come to WV when they're in the portal? 
what's going on with the secondary, because this is another really talented guy that we lost. And it's like you said, it's a head scratcher. Yeah, it definitely is. And, um, you know, I don't want to speculate too much. I don't know if it's because he got hurt and he was rehabbing a lot, which creates a lot of downtime that maybe he got homesick. But like I said earlier, the fact that he, the timing of all of it made it seem like it was personal somehow. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't want to speculate and put words in people's mouths, but uh, I just, I'm sure one day, you know, some information will leak and we'll know more about it, but I would love to know more info about his departure but um some other guys who are fan favorites announced they're transferring as well jt daniels will goose crowder and reese smith have all announced that they're entering the portal um we can start with the quarterbacks what are your thoughts on jt and goose leaving you know i'm kind of surprised about jt leaving um you know i understand the way the season wasn't great and i'm not exactly sure what happened again it's like a charles wood situation where you know he didn't do anything that kind of slandered the program when he left but it was more of a um i don't know just he kind of just faded to black um at the end of the season and a lot of question marks as to whether he was injured or he just stopped caring or what it was and and kind of reflecting back to when he committed he noted that wvu said that they you know, thought that they were a five team, but with him, he added another five wins and they were going to win 10 games this year. Now, how much did he buy into that? How much did that disappoint him whenever he knew that they weren't going to at the hit even seven wins? Um, did he check out? Um, maybe he just wasn't a fan of the talent that was around him. You know, it's kind of another interesting situation. Um, you know, I do like Garrett green. I do like Nico. Um, but it would be nice to have another option in that quarterback room because Nico's still really young. We've seen the ups and downs with Garrett. I think he could be a good quarterback, but he could also be the worst quarterback. Um, he's the most volatile of them all. Um, with Goose, I completely understand him. Um, I feel like he was the odd man out the whole way through. Um, he did look the best in the spring game, but it was a spring game. And, you know, he is, he's someone who just seems prime to go to a G5 school and just have a good career. I mean, I don't know if he's going to be a superstar at a G5 school, but I think he'll have a good career. I think he'll find some place to start, and he'll be at least a really solid quarterback. Um, But with JT, it's just kind of a mystery to me. You know, I I don't know which version of JT is the real JT. I don't know what happened at the end of the season. I don't even know what he plans to go and what his recruitment is going to be like now. Is he still – power five quarterback is he still still going to get looks from other schools or has he completely burnt out um of those programs so uh you know keep in mind neil brown just had his exit interviews with all the players i think it was just yesterday so um it makes sense uh honestly i thought both of these guys were going um even before the announcement so the quarterbacks come as no surprise. Um, It seems like Nico or Garrett Green are the favorites to get the starting job next year. So a lot of people, you know, kind of, I think a lot of people were suspecting definitely Goose, but even JT would enter the portal. And uh, like you kind of said, who could blame them? I don't blame either guy. They're both talented. I hope they find a school that will give them heavy playing time. Um, We'll start with Goose. He, He has a lot of potential, I think. 
Uh, he just needs to find a place that will give him an opportunity. And like you said, I think a G5 school would be perfect for him. Um, but who knows? He could be really good. Like I said, he has potential. We don't really know. We we haven't got a chance to see him. And he's still very young. As for JT, um, it was a fun experiment to get a highly rated guy from the portal. Everybody had really high expectations. And for a time, he seemed to meet those expectations. But, uh, you know, whether it was due to injury or something else, Daniels just wasn't getting the job done on offense. The offense completely stalled out at times. It, it was kind of no disrespect, but it was it was reminiscent to last year's offense with Daigie. You know, I don't want to pile on Jared Daigie because he seemed like a nice kid, too. But um, during the Tech and Iowa State game, uh, that's what it reminded me of. It was just an offense that had no chance of putting up enough points to win you a game. Um, but like I said, he had flashes of, of being a, a, a very good quarterback. So I, I hope they both find homes, but I think this is the right move for them and for WVU. Personally, I, I was kind of ready, um, to move on from JT. I didn't want him starting next year and it's no disrespect to him. It's just, I feel like if we announced he was coming back, you were probably losing green. I mean, that was almost a hundred percent guarantee. And it would concern me about Nico because then Nico would know that he has almost zero chance of starting if JT's coming back. And so I, it, it excites me more that Garrett and Nico are going to battle it out because we kind of knew what we were getting with JT with Nico and Garrett. Um, you know, you might, you might be getting a, an excellent quarterback that can win you a lot of games. You don't know, but that, that kind of, is what excites me is the potential. Yeah. I mean, I think the reason that, you know, I, I kind of, I would have liked to see JT Daniels back, maybe not necessarily with this offense, but you know, with a different offense, whether that's another offensive coordinator, head coach or whatever is because at the beginning of the season, you know, I definitely think what I saw from him was better than what green or Nico could bring out, you know, the first three or four games. Um, you know, what happened at the end of the season, maybe it's just, you know, a mentality thing. Maybe he just mentality, his mentality, he can't be on a losing team and it just, just doesn't work. Um, and that's a concern. Um, you know, maybe the ceiling isn't as high for JT, but in terms of winning next year, I do think that it can be argued that he maybe would have given us a better chance. Now we've seen him in this offense. So maybe what we saw at the end of last year is what he really is. And he's just washed. Um, it's hard to say. Um, my concerns with Green and, and Nico are is just for one with Green, you know, I would love to see him succeed because I do think his potential is through the roof. I think he has a, a really live arm. I think his athleticism obviously is undeniable. Um, but, you know, when we talk about, you know, the highs and lows, his highs are sky high and his lows can be below the the, the, the field low. <laughs> So, um, again, coming back to player development, coming back to building a system around him that works for him and having a head coach and offensive coordinator that support the style of play that works for him. I kind of worry about that, especially because we've kind of seen the way that the coaching staff has handled him before um, with Nico. Um, you know, he, he's just really young and I haven't seen enough of him. You know, in high school, he looked he looked great. But um, in that last game. He really didn't do much, and I understand that's a tough situation against Oklahoma State on the road to have your first action, um, you know, and, and he just 
he made some nice plays with his legs, but his arm wasn't really there. Now maybe he makes a leap in the second year, but um, I don't know. It, it just kind of worries me because there's a lot of uncertainty coming into next year. Um, so yeah. I, I do think that both guys could be good, but I also think that it could be a rough season too if neither of them take the leap that we were hoping they do. Well, we'll circle back to Reese Smith here in a minute, but I'll just jump into our what was going to be our next segment. Who would you want um, to start next year, Nico, Garrett, or would you like to see WVU, you know, try the JT experiment again and go into the portal? Because, like I was just saying, you know, Nico and Garrett are are those two guys who can win you a conference championship. I I think we don't really know. I don't think it's really fair to say yes or no. They they haven't really been given a full opportunity to prove themselves. And I certainly think they are guys who can get you in a bowl game next year. And I think they have ceilings that are higher than anyone else that Neil Brown has had here, like former quarterbacks like Daggy. And of course, JT had a very high ceiling, but I think we see where that ceiling is now. Um, and, and so I'm excited to see these guys get the chance because I like the fact that they have the ability to run. We haven't seen a quarterback with that ability since Neil's been here. And honestly, we haven't had it at West Virginia since Skylar Howard. Um, but I think both of those um, quarterbacks, they proved they can create more time in the pocket. Look at that Oklahoma State game. And um, they can add a lot to the running game, which our running game's awesome because we already know, you know, we're going to have anywhere between two to four amazing backs next year. I mean, who knows? One of them could still enter the portal, but we're going to have bare minimum, I would say two or three of them, if not all four. And I'm sure the coaching staff will be exploring um, for can't miss quarterbacks in the portal like they did with JT. And they should, you know, that's what good coaches do. Um, unfortunately, JT didn't work out. He wasn't as good as everyone hoped, um, but it was a good idea. So if you're asking me, I say stick with those two guys. Of course, keep looking. And if somehow you stumble upon like a highly recruited guy, yeah, get them. But other than that, um, I think I'm ready to just move on and give Nico and Garrett a fair shake next year. I think it depends on what offense we decide to run next year. Um, if we're running the same stuff that we run for the past three or four years, um, I, I'm just concerned with the offense as a whole. Um, you know, this RPO garbage kind of doesn't really work. And if that's what we want to run, um, then I would want Nico to start. Cause I don't think at, you know, looking at the portal, I really don't think there's really anyone, anyone in there who could look good in the system that we have now. Um, I understand we made leaps this year just because we added a few new wrinkles. We threw downfield a little bit more. We weren't as conservative. Um, and I, I influence on the offense, but it definitely seems like Neil still has some sort of weight that he's um, influencing the on, on the offense as well. Um, if we're throwing the offensive philosophy out the window and we say put the best quarterback out there and you build your system around him, um, you bring in a new offensive coordinator who's just going to be innovative and build an offense around someone, I would say, you know, I'd want Garrett Green back there or even go out and get someone like a Spencer Sanders, you know. Um, I don't know if he would be able to transfer in conference, um, but I do think he's probably the most talented I doubt um, you're landing him, though. What's I doubt, that? I doubt West Virginia could land him if we're being realistic. If he's leaving Oklahoma State, I doubt he's going to come to in conference to West Virginia. True. But, uh, 
know, it, it, I mean, Garrett Green could be like a Spencer Sanders, but you have to build your system around him properly. You have to, you can't have him run an RPO system. Like if you're going to go read option, you need to go read option. You can't run RPO because I think that's, you know, it, it, Garrett Green wants to hit the home run and RPO is meant to kind of just take chunks. Um, I, I think you need to go read option. I think you need to allow him to throw vertically. I think you, that's the system you need to support him. And Neil Brown's system just doesn't do that. If that's a system you want to run, then just trot Nico out there because I think that he's he's a smarter quarterback. He's willing to take the checkdowns and he's willing to just kind of take what's in front of him. Well, I do think if they know those are your options at quarterback, I do think they would, you know, adjust a lot of their play calling to fit those two guys' strengths because both of them have the capabilities of running. So uh, we'll see. But like I said, circling back around to Reese, we don't want to forget about him. Reese Smith is in the portal as well. And, uh, you know, he seemed to play a decent amount this year at slot. And early in the season, he was even on punt returns until, you know, a couple muffs got him pulled from that job. But um, I know Reese was pretty vocal back, like, right at the beginning of the season in August, at the beginning of the year, that uh, he wanted a bigger role in the offense. And uh, once again, I can't blame him. You know, these kids want playing time. So, um you know, this is another one. I feel like it's kind of the right move for both parties, but WVU seems a little thin at wide receiver heading into next season. That's my only concern. Um, so it would have been nice to have an extra body out there. Prather, of course, will be okay. Um, but WVU is going to need guys like Jeremiah Aaron, Cortez Braham, and other guys to step up immediately. Of course, you got Rodney Gallagher coming in, but how much can you expect from you know, a true freshman. So um, I think Reese can get a lot more playing time at another school. Um, so I don't blame him, but the that's, that's my only concern. I think it hurts us just because we need bodies at that position. Yeah. And I wonder if it was a, a kind of a chicken or an egg problem because, you know, you mentioned at the beginning of the season, Reese mentioning he wanted to be in um, the game more. Um, if you recall during the off season, the coaching staff kind of raved about Reese and were kind of really trying to promote him. Um, it really didn't lead to anything. So did the coaches kind of pump him up too much or was it more of along the lines of Reese kind of thought that he deserved more than what he got? Um, and, you know, it, when it comes down to it, you know, is he stealing playing time from Bryce for Wheaton or Sam James or um, Caden Prather? No. I mean, those three guys were superior to him in almost every aspect. He did come in. He was a great depth receiver, um, you know, not a good pot returner, um, but you know, slot receiver, he made some really great catches. He was good for, it seemed like one catch for 30 yards every other game um, in big moments. Um, so, you know, give him kudos there. Um, but, you know, I don't think he's irreplaceable. And I think the, the thing is, you know, if more wide receiver depth, I feel like, you know, wide receivers are one of the deepest position groups on any team. Yeah, most teams have seven or eight of them. So there should be a slew of them in the portal. And someone like an Ali Jennings could come in and fill in a role. I mean, he's familiar with WVU. He just had a great year at Old Dominion. Um, he'd be a name I would love to look at. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think you nailed it. I don't think he's irreplaceable. And there's, you know, the portal taketh away, but it also giveth. So you can just hit the portal and, and try to find a guy who can um, fill his shoes. But um, obviously, we wish all these guys the best. Like we keep saying, we don't hold anything against them. You only get so many years to play in college, so uh, make the most of it. But speaking of the portal, 
Um, and we can do this quickly. We don't got to spend a lot of time on this segment. But what do you think is the best strategy for tackling the portal? Because, you know, there's different routes to take. You can attack junior colleges. Um, you can go after other Power 5 players. You can try to just focus on G-level. Or do you try to just dabble in all of it? Um, if you are running the program, what do you think is the best strategy for being successful at the portal? Yeah. Um, so I think what I would do is I think there's a lot of talent in the G5. And I think the problem with going after power five guys is that you're competing with, you know, the big dogs, you know, everyone who's um, transferring from Alabama or, or some other big school, a lot of big other big schools are going to go after those guys. Um, so that competition is a little stiff for me, but I think G5 is the way to go. Um, go out there and try to pick some top performers. Um, obviously keeping an eye on the, power five guys who are kind of slipping under the radar, maybe because they didn't play or you don't know much about them and try to pick up a few of those guys just as kind of like a, a gambling chip, you know, maybe it was a freshman who thought he was going to play more like the Texas A&M situation where a lot of highly ranked guys are entering, entering the portal. Maybe one of those guys flies under the radar and people are turned off by him. Just take a flyer on him and see what happens. Um, but I, I think primarily, you know, get a lot of um, guys from G5. Cause I think those guys can come in and play right away. Um, I think that they're going to be, um, you know, there's not a lot of ramp up with them. And, you know, we've seen with Juco guys that some of them can come in and produce day one and other of other ones need four or five games before they're up to speed. So, um, you know, the G five is kind of the middle ground and that's, that's where I primarily would attack. I would say, you know, 65% G five, um, try and do math in my head. Um, 15% JUCO and then was that 20% power five? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I think you make some good points there. Um, honestly, I don't know what the best route to take is. Um, I, I feel like it would vary each year if that makes sense, because you know, some years you'll, you'll have more options in different areas. So the best thing I think for them to do is just dabble a little in every field um, depending on the year, whether it's junior colleges, which Dana had a lot of success with. I mean, look at Rousel Douglas, Skylar Howard, and other guys he was able to bring to WVU and uh, really just get the most out of them. Um, whether it's G5 schools, like you just said, um, you know, being a power five school, it would be a lot easier to poach guys like that because you could use it as a selling tool. Hey, we're power five. We get a lot of eyeballs. We're on big, um, you know, stations that scouts and everyone will see um or you could try to go after these guys who are leaving major power five programs like the jt daniels situation but like you mentioned the thing is with that um west virginia would uh whiff a lot if if they put a lot of time into that because they would be competing against other power five programs to land those big names so um i'm glad i don't have to make these decisions because i don't know what the right route is yet i feel like this is just still so young and people are still trying to figure it out. But if you look around college football, the guys who are crushing the portal are the ones who are having the most success. And for a school like West Virginia, which is in Alabama, but at the same time, isn't like a bottom feeder. Uh, they're right in that middle ground where if they're going to be successful, no matter who the head coach is, he's going to have to crush the portal to, mm -hmm. to be consistently winning games here. Yeah. And I, I think the way to approach it, um, just to kind of, you know, add some color to it is, you know, I think for the positions of need 
the positions like we need to fill, like for example, this year, the secondary, I think we need to hit the G five transfers hard because those are guys are going to be able to come in and play right away. Um, if you need to fill out the class a little bit, take some young guys from the power five schools that are transferring who just didn't get playing time and just see what you got in them. Take- yeah. I mean, you, you look around college football. I mean, Mac Brown from North Carolina just made comments the other day that uh, one of his big players, everyone's assuming it's his quarterback, of course, um, just received 15 offers from different schools. Um and this is why for so long fans and people in the NCAA said they didn't want to bring money into it because this was, everyone knew this was what was going to happen. And don't get me wrong. I'm glad the players are making money. I, I think it's the right move, but uh, it's just impossible to avoid uh, the scumbags who are just going to try to get a bunch of money and um and do a bunch of illegal stuff i mean 15 schools should not be reaching out to a player who's officially at north carolina and look at what miami's been doing to wvu it's um i don't know you just hate to see it but it's uh it's in you can't avoid it so you you just kind of have to play the game which i don't know i mean do you have like integrity and and try to do it the right way because i feel like that's what shane said he was trying to do and it got him fired (laughs) Or do you mm-hmm. act like some of these scumbag schools that are clearly doing a bunch of illegal stuff to steal players? Like, do you have morals or do you want to win? I, I don't know. The NCAA is in a weird area right now. Yeah, I think that the tricky thing is, is that, you know, I, I'm not sure if it's the schools outright who are reaching out to these players or the big donors from those schools. And Again, yeah. I'm- but that's just how they get away with it, though. I mean, of mm-hmm. course, that's what they're doing. But we all know that. We know yeah. what's going on. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, the problem with that is, is that, you know, for a school like WVU, where we only have maybe a handful of donors that could pro- potentially compete with some of these, the donors that these schools have, and they have dozens of them, we just really can't compete, you know? So that puts us at a disadvantage. And I think that's where, circling back to how we started, that's where Ren Baker, Ren Baker comes in. And he talked about it a lot is, you know, we want to support our student athletes. We want to make this one of the best places to be in the country, whether it's through, you know, our sports medicine programs or helping them get their degrees or, you know, just making the facilities the best that they can possibly be. We want, want to be here because the experience and the culture is that great. Um, And I think that's how you're going to have to combat it. I mean, look at what, you know, obviously this news made it to Mac Brown and, you know, maybe it's a culture thing there where, you know, Drake may, came up to coach and said, Hey coach, guess what? I got 15 phone calls in the past week from these schools, you know, and he did that because he likes Mac Brown and he wants, you know, he, he trusts him. And I think that's important to have is, you know, I, I know Neil Brown alluded to this too, is during the exit interviews that they had um, with the players is talking about the transfer portal and saying the pros and cons of it and trying to gain the trust of the players. And I think that's the move you have to make is building the trust, building the relationship and saying, if someone's coming to talk to you, come talk to us first and, you know, let's see how we can help you. We might not be able to match it, but we can keep you here and, you know, to see how we can help. Um, and it's an unfortunate situation. I mean, obviously, if it continues to get worse and all these people want to continue to pump their extra money into collegiate athletics, I mean, it could end up destroying the NCAA from the inside out. I mean, you have teams who are willing to pay their athletes millions of dollars a year, and you have teams like WVU who may, might be left behind. I mean, that's the sad reality of it. 
and the NCA needs to do something about it. But for now, um, schools like WVU just need to build that culture and the trust with their players. And that's, that's all we can really do. <laughs> yeah. And um, I think you're right. It's important to mention that the grass isn't always greener on the other side and not just for selfish reasons, because you want to keep these players here, but to do those, those young guys a favor who are just seeing money and seeing what they're being promised. I mean, look at Tyke Smith. Um, there's so many other guys. I'm drawing a blank on the guy. Yeah, exactly. That was the guy I was drawing a blank on who went to Auburn, practically never played. And then just, you know, had to go walk on at NC state, I believe. I mean, Mm -hmm. it basically ruined his college career. Whereas if he would have stayed here, you know, almost a guaranteed starter. So yeah, the grass is not, always greener. So um, yeah, I think that is important not only to just keep them, but to just make sure these young guys aren't ruining their entire careers. Yeah. I mean, in, in the grand scheme of things too, you know, it has to, it comes back to the player's education. You know, if some school like say for Texas, Texas is apparently paying every player or every player in specific position groups, $50,000 a year, you know, Sure. Yeah. It'd be great to go down there and play for $50,000 a year. It's money on the table and, you know, you don't want to pass that up, but what are you going to do after that? You know, are you going to go to Texas and get a degree? Are you going to kind of, you know, do you want to be a football player afterwards? Because if you want to be a football player afterwards, maybe you're behind too much talent to do that. Maybe you're making $50,000 now, but you know, you're just going to be stuck with a nine to five after you graduate, where if you come to somewhere like WVU, maybe you're not making $50,000 a year, but you have the opportunity to go to the NFL and get, you know, a million dollar contract. And last time I checked four or five times 50,000 is only at most $250,000. So you're making that four year investment for a potential to make a million dollars. What are you going to do? And I think that's the conversation that needs to be had. Yeah. I'm with you, man. It'll be interesting to see how this all shakes out in the next couple of weeks. Um, but let's let's switch gears a little bit, talk about basketball real quick. West Virginia lost a hard-fought game to Xavier over the weekend, 84-74. to 74. The Mountaineers took a seven-point lead into halftime, but they, you know, they just couldn't stop Xavier in the second half. 48 second-half points for Xavier. Um that that's just unacceptable for the West Virginia defense. Um, there were some positives to take away from this game without a doubt. And we'll, we'll touch on those, but ultimately WVU lost the battle on the board. They lost the free throw battle points in the paint, second chance points, you know, basically every category that will eventually lead to a loss. They, they came out, you know, not on top of. So the Mountaineers didn't do enough to win this game. So what are your thoughts on the Xavier game? Yeah, it, it was disappointing, but it's early in the seasoning season. And I think, you know, a lot of the things that went wrong, we can fix. I know Huggins trotted out some weird lineup combinations um, and Xavier kind of feasted on him. I think it was like a Conquo, Um, I forget the exact combination, but I know, I think it was like three guards, a Conquo, and someone else. Um, and Xavier just beat that lineup up. Um, so, I mean, I, I think Huggins was also trying to get some guys some reps. I think he was trying to, you know, experiment a little bit. Maybe it wasn't necessarily the right time to experiment, but, you know, I'm going to trust him to make that investment over the long term because maybe it pays dividends in the end. Um, you know, and a loss to, to Xavier now probably isn't the worst thing. It's better than losing to like a UAB or a, who's coming up. Um so, I mean, I, I'm not sure if Xavier is a tournament team, but it's also not 
they're also not like a what is it a Q4 team who's going to be marked as a bad loss come tournament time. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. Um, hopefully the Xavier loss is just something they can learn from. You know, it's not time to hit the panic button. I do understand some of the fans who are having flashbacks, you know, a WVU team that's red hot in the first half, and then they go cold to blow a lead. I get it. It's something we've seen a lot, but I I agree with you. It's not time to panic. Um, I'm going to try to walk away with the positives that I saw. You know, WVU shot 47% from three. They looked great in the first 20 minutes of the game. So, you know, maybe that's something they can build off of. Um, looking at who they got coming up soon, they have Navy tomorrow. They have UAB, Buffalo, all coming up within the next few days. And then they have Stony Brook the following week. So, and their next four games are at home. And then it's conference play time. So, um, I mean, listen, I understand you have to play the games to officially get those W's. But um, they should win those next four games. And um, after seeing a disappointing loss to Xavier, the only thing that stinks is you're just aching to see them against competition again because you want to see how we match up. But uh, I think it's important not to overlook these teams. Like you said, Xavier's not a bad loss. They're a good team. Um, It hurts a little in the fashion that we lost. You know, you never want to blow a nice lead and collapse in the second half. But um, just losing to a team like that is nothing to hit the panic button on. And, um, you know, out of those teams I just mentioned, UAB might have a good team again. You know, they were tough last year. They only have one loss as of right now. So um, let's get these four wins. And then looking at conference play that's right around the corner, um, as we know, there's no easy games in the Big 12. So it's good that they are a little battle-tested now that they've played Purdue, Xavier. I like it that we're getting um, kind of seeing how we measure up before we go through that gauntlet. That is the big 12 basketball. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think, you know, looking forward here, I, I think what I'm looking forward to the most other than the UAB game is just to kind of figure out what our rotations are going to become big 12 play. I think this is the the time of uh, year where you're going to see Bob Huggins kind of narrow things down a little bit and try to figure out who his guys are. Um, who he's going to have in at the end of the games. And, you know, I think we all have a general idea of who those guys are going to be, but we've saw, seen some young guys sprinkled, sprinkled in here and there, and it's going to be interesting to see which one of those sticks and which ones don't. Um, you know, and, and again, you know, there's no really no reason to panic because this is the first time all these guys have really played together, you know, that this past month or so. Um, you know, sure, they've had the fall, but, I mean, all these guys came from different schools or they came from JUCO other than, what was it, maybe three guys, four guys who came back from last year's squad. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to see Big 12 play because, like you said, it's going to be entertaining and it's going to be competitive. Yeah, I'm with you. Conference play starts December 31st versus K-State. Assuming um, WVU goes into conference play being 10-2, and two, that means they win their next four. Um that means WVU has to go roughly around 500 to have a shot at the big dance in March. There are 18 conference games plus the game versus Auburn in late January. So um, I know I'm looking really far ahead, but I, I think that's definitely possible with the talent that this team has. So we shall see. Um, I'm, I'm still pretty excited for um, West Virginia basketball this year. Cause like I said, yeah. I, I think they have a real chance to make the big dance and that's really all I'm asking for. Because once you're in, 
who knows? You you could see some magic. Yeah, I, I would love to see them in the tournament this year. I mean, um, it's just not the same without them. I mean, even whenever it is a potentially bad matchup in the first round, it's something that um, I always have fun with, just knowing that I'm going to get to see WVU have a chance to see what they can do. And all you need, all you need to do is get your foot in the door. That's it. And I'm really hoping that we can at least make it that far this year. That's my goal. I'm with you. Yeah. And the only other thing I had to mention, and this isn't really WVU related, other than the fact that this team will be in the Big 12 next year. I thought it was interesting that Cincinnati hired Satterfield from uh, Louisville after Luke Fickle left for Wisconsin, only because Satterfield has not been very good at, at Louisville. And I think it kind of goes back to the point that you brought up that if you wait too long to get your, your coach and all the good candidates are kind of leaving that, you know, this might be what you're stuck with. Not saying Satterfield's going to fall on his face at Cincinnati. He did have success at Appalachian state, but, um, you know, Cincinnati's just been so good for so long that when I saw that hire, I I, I just thought that was a real head scratcher. Yeah, it is. It's a really strange move. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what they saw. Obviously, you know, they hired him for for some reason, and he has had success at other places. But I mean, it's not like the landscape right now is completely bare bones. I mean, they could have went after Chadwell. I mean, I'm sure they could have matched what Liberty offered. Um, you know, you have coordinators like. Um, was it Knowles from, what is he at, Ohio State or Georgia? Um, you know, you have coordinators from other schools. So unless you're kind of just really narrowing your focus on someone who has coaching experience at a level similar to what you're at, um, which I don't think is a great search criteria, but, you know, to each their own. But, you know, if that's what you're doing, then, yeah, sure, Satterfield's probably the best because he just got fired. But, I mean, what's his competition, Scott Frost? So, um yeah, it's a real head scratcher. And if that would have happened to WVU, um, I don't know if I would be conscious right now because I'd probably still be drinking. <laughs> well, also, I mean, for Satterfield, it, it's kind of interesting that he's making that move because Louisville and Cincinnati is just a skip away. So, I mean, I feel like yeah, I, I do think Cincinnati does have you know better facilities, but I think it says a lot that he thinks the Big 12 is kind of on the rise, whereas he's in the ACC. Does he think it's kind of sinking? I don't know. Just the hire itself just made me ask a lot of questions, and I thought it was worth bringing up. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't even think of that. Um, yeah, I mean, it definitely seems like the Big 12 is in a lot more stable ground than the ACC right now. Um, I'm not sure how privy coaches would be necessarily for what's going to happen in the next two or three years with ACC schools, but I'm sure the um, the rumor mill um, makes its way around to the coaches too. And they're just not sure what's going to happen, especially with the school like Clemson, the school like Clemson goes, the ACC's dead. It's just that cut and dry. And when you have one weak vulnerable point in your conference, and that's where all your, your weight is resting. Oh boy. I don't know if I'd want to be in that situation either. <laughs> yeah. The other thing is the big Florida teams like Miami and Florida state. If someone even takes one or both of them, you know, Clemson's going to be itching to get out. And then it, it's really only going to take one team. And then the domino of the ACC might collapse. So um, it just brings up again that I'm, I'm kind of glad we're in the Big 12. I know for a long time, West Virginia fans wanted to be in the ACC. And it did make a lot of sense with the rivalries. 
Um, but you know, at the end of the day, I, I feel like it's, it's working out a little bit. Yeah. As long as it all ends with Miami and Virginia tech ending up in the Sun Belt, I'll be happy. <laughs> well, the fact that, you know, Boston college, Miami, Virginia tech hasn't had a ton of success since bolting does give me a lot of joy, even though we've had our struggles here and there in the big 12, I feel like we left because we had to, they left voluntarily. It's kind of the way I see it. Oh, for sure. I mean, uh, I'll never ever forgive those schools. Um, you know, for what they did. And, you know, uh, I've described it before as, you know, there's, you know, kind of fun hate. And then there's like actual hate, hate. I think I, you know, it's fun to hate pit. I understand they were kind of part of that wave, but I feel like they were just kind of pulled along. Um, but Virginia tech, Miami, that's more of a hate, hate sort of um, feeling towards me, kind of like a Ohio state and Michigan sort of hatred towards each other. Um, just because of the way that they kind of initiated things and, kind of thought that they were bigger than, than everyone else. I mean, and they put themselves in the situation where they weren't the big dog anymore. And this is where they're at. So I couldn't be happier for those programs right now, just being absolute irrelevant programs in a conference that is on its last leg. Yeah, exactly. I don't think I agree with you though. Pitt's definitely number one for me, <laughs> but uh, those guys are definitely close behind. But um, that's it for us, guys. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Um, tune in next week, and we will catch you then. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>